Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome, Corey. It's so wonderful to have you here all the way from Sri Lanka. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So let's dive right in. First of all, I am so curious how you ended up in Sri Lanka. (laughs) It's <laughs> a good place to start. Yeah, I'm just going to start at the beginning and give you a, a brief sweep through how I got here, which is also kind of explained in my the book that I'm actually currently promoting, Rituals of the Soul. But you know, I after college, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I had just found yoga, and which was beside the point. But I, it wasn't anything that I was like working in the field. I was just starting to practice. But a friend said. Um, she found a job up in Alaska and if I wanted to write up with her. So I actually drove up to Alaska and ended up spending um, almost 13 years there working in different jobs all over, sometimes really remote and other times um, in the ski town or on a boat, whatever, had lots of different jobs. And after eight years in a relationship, had built a really beautiful cabin together and had this really nice domestic life, there was something inside of me just like, oh, this is so not right. You're supposed to be doing something else. And um, really that like crying on the bathroom, Elizabeth Gilbert picture that (laughs) comes to mind, but that was a lot of that. And so after one season of working on um, boats, I got off and a friend offered me a yurt. And so I went and just sat in that yurt one winter and did yoga and sat by the crackling of the potbelly stove that was in there. And journaled a lot and started journaling about like the ocean and palm trees and surfing. And I was obviously fascinated with surfing. And so I decided to, you know, sell my house, leave my partner and move into this year and then head out, just take my backpack. And so that led me eventually a roundabout way to Sri Lanka, where I learned to surf and started surfing here. And was here for about six months and people started asking me to teach yoga just because they saw me doing it outside my little bungalows and things. And from that, I ended up teaching yoga, kind of didn't ever have that intention to go into it myself, just enjoyed it as a personal practice. Moved to Bali for five years and um, met someone and had a baby and he's now five years old. And then eventually just decided to come back to Sri Lanka which is where I am now. <laughs> wow. Okay. First of all, I'm in a yurt. I don't know if you can tell that. <laughs> yes, yes. We built this last year. I always say this is one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that I needed a place for recording my classes and my podcast. 
after I got out of my public yoga studio. So a yurt was, we'd always loved yurts too, had stayed in them in some hiking trips and there's something very magical about them. So I can see where you got that, really that connection to your soul's longing in that place. But it sounds like, I mean, you are the classic kind of nomadic spirit because I think many people yearn to experience other places and possibilities, but don't ever act, don't act on it because it seems like too scary. But okay. So going back to surfing, like there's a lot of other places you could go that were closer than Sri Lanka. (laughs) I mean, because to go to a country that doesn't speak your native tongue, that is like, how did you like put the dot on Sri Lanka? Well, I had traveled a lot all those years in Alaska. I could work seasonally. So it was Mm. easy for me to work for six months and then take a trip, a train trip through whatever, Tibet or something. And so I would do a lot of these trips. And I always, I loved Asia. I've always had a a really special place in my heart for um, pretty much all of Southeast Asia in general, but all of Asia. And I liked Sri Lanka. I liked that it was kind of like India, but... So it has this like strong spiritual and, and, and very exotic and cultural. And, but in the spiritual department, I really enjoyed what I could study here. And also there are little really gentle waves, which were perfect for me when I learned. And then now we've come back because I have a five-year-old and we thought, oh, well, they're actually perfect for him too. So <laughs> That's wonderful. Can you speak yeah. a little bit about like what you've noticed culturally is different living in Southeast Asia versus the States? Like what are some things, again, not to bash one or the other, but the environment, the culture that is just seeps through daily life. How is it different? Yeah, it's it's a good time to ask that question because I feel like I just was in the States for six months actually with my son and I just right before the book came out. So it was, and I hadn't seen my family. I had been here actually building, um, renovating this house. And so definitely here through most of the pandemic until just six months ago. But I noticed just a few things that come to mind for me is when I'm in the States, everything feels so expensive, especially being an entrepreneur in this time when yoga became vastly online and studios were shutting and my retreats definitely stopped running completely. And I'm glad for it. I'm grateful that that was the situation. But you can't just relax in that in the States. I felt this like constant energy of, oh, you should probably start selling something online. Like there's a pressure in the society because I think every little thing ends up costing more than one would expect, I guess, especially for me coming from Southeast Asia. So that was something like the the work and the, the um, hustle culture for sure. Here on the other side, it's the opposite. It's so hard to get anything done. It's so challenging just to print something. And today, I i mean, I wanted a bed and here, like all the wood gets moldy so quickly. So I had a welder come to weld me a bed. I mean, you don't just go and buy a bed at Ikea. It's just like every little thing, every light that needs to put in. So it feels just like as far as running a business or any kind of like life thing, it's easy to get overwhelmed here, but it's almost because of the opposite reasons. (laughs) Right. It's slow, slow moving. It's like basically the convenience of life that you get in the West because of the hustle and everything. You can order something and it could be at your door in a day or two. You, You change that out. And yeah, so there's always two sides to a coin. And I imagine that like going from the West to the East and have, there's almost like this reset you have to do. Like things are going to be slower. And 
that must be so wonderful for the nervous system. Besides like when you need a bed and you want it there today. Oh my God. Otherwise the nervous system must just feel so calm in that environment. It's funny because you can make what you want with that space, right? Mm -hmm. So we had so much space during the pandemic, but I had a lot of triggers here because I actually, my husband and I split up during that time and they had really intense lockdowns and I didn't, I haven't met a community here. We just moved here literally right before lockdown started happening. So it's been a really, really lonely time. And I actually realized before I went to the States that my nervous system was so amped up from the building of this place, from the challenge of everything. Like I'd see myself at the bank literally just freaking out. And then I went to the States and I loved the convenience. Like you said, I was, I was great for a little while. But then the reality of, I was with my son alone because my partner and I had split up. So the real reality of solo parenting after five months in the States, in the beginning, it was amazing. And by the time I came back, I was also having like a nerve to calm my adrenals and everything. So I really felt both sides could amplify my anxiety. And what I'm finding through this whole journey of the past year, really, and moving home so much with my son is that you just have to control it. You have to get a grip on what your schedule is and what you're doing. And so I could, I mean, this was my experience, but I could either have nervous systems there by worrying about other things or here because of the inconveniences. So I'm starting to think that there's no um, place to answer this. It's within, It's within, exactly. It's your home is within, so it doesn't matter. The the environment obviously affects us. So with that being said, I'm curious, how do you find your center? How, how, what are your techniques, especially as a single mom? I'm sure there's lots of single moms listening or even very busy moms listening. What are some things that you found that really are kind of non-negotiables for taking care of you and having your nervous system as balanced as possible in any environment. Yeah. Well, to be honest, in the past like month, it got really after that solo parenting experience. And I got back to Sri Lanka. My ex is still here. So that was a little bit like irritated to the system. <laughs> and, and and then I, I could, but in a second, I could ground back into my rituals. And that was really a beautiful thing to have such a, a lifelong practice and know things that work for me. And so one of those non-negotiables for many years now, I'd say for five years since I, I really took an intensive and learned about it is yoga nidra. And because I know scientifically the benefits for trauma and for anxiety and post-traumatic stress, I not only love the practice, but I, I truly, my brain even gets behind how it's systematically relaxing me. And it's always been a powerful practice for me, but also lately with, there's a lot of energy and I'm feeling with suddenly the buzz of people around and even like going out surfing. I was alone in the water for two years and today there were 20 people out. And to me, it's all just a bit like hectic to the system. And I feel like an anxiety there and a heaviness. So I've been doing a lot of like dynamic Osho dancing, just like a static movement and nothing militaristic like I used to do in my 20s. That's the thing about moms is we have to fit it in and get it in. We have to realize what we need and do something about it. And we might not have an hour or an hour and a half, 
But if you're putting your kid to sleep, you might have 20 minutes to do a quick yoga nidra or so. Oh, I, amen. I, I, I say this all the time. <laughs> I say it really to put it off and put it off because you don't have enough time isn't going to be, everybody can take 10 minutes for you. And you need to, because we're going to be better humans, better moms, better friends, better partners, all of it. If we have that as a non-negotiable and it doesn't have to be 60 minutes, but you can at least take 10 and hopefully that'll spill over to maybe 20. It's like just fine. And it could be multiple times a day. It doesn't have to be one like all or nothing, but it is like we need. And that's kind of the recalibrating that we're going to need to do. Sometimes, like you said, we're going to need to like shake it out and sweat because there is that anxiety that needs to be literally like kind of spun off. And the yoga nidra, I want you to talk a little bit about this. I just did a podcast on yoga nidra and because it is, it is so powerful. When you practice it on your own, do you practice it with a recording? I usually do. Mm -hmm. And I've really gotten into like the astro nidras because they guide me to the parts of the body using medical astrology. So I'll use the parts of the body towards that astrology and I'm really enjoying that. So I've have some teachers I like that I listen to, but I do tend to listen because I think there's a thinking involved when you're guiding yourself. And, mm-hmm. and really the yoga nidra practice kind of goes, it really wants you to put that to sleep for me you know, too. So the recordings are nice. It's, it works like hypnosis. So in other ways, I would definitely guide myself um, in through meditation, any other kind, in fact, as in counting or pranayama or whatever. But with the yoga nidras, it's not like push play. Yes. <laughs> it's so the you cannot think. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the yogi version of Netflix and chill. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's so easy. I mean, I, I mentioned on my podcast, like you can find so many of these online for free. And yeah, it yeah. takes the takes all of the work off of us so we can really kind of dissolve and go into that deeper relaxed state, which is incredibly powerful and and healing. When we get, we don't get to that state very often, even in our regular sleep. And it's the place where we really restore and improve our immunity and improve our um, nervous system balance. And it's just beautiful. So I'd like to now um, talk about your book and, and your journey into writing a book. What, what inspired you to write a book? Because it is, it's, and, and congratulations, it's, it's an amazing feat to, to put into words and into order a concept that you want to share with people. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about it is like, it just kind of came to me as an idea. And if I ever knew at the time, what a big... <laughs> huge ordeal that this was going to be. I, I probably would have convinced myself not to, but through this, I, I just had an idea that I wanted to almost write a scientific book about intuition to prove to the yogis how important intuition is with the science to back it as much as I could. So that was where this all started. And then I went back into the yoga sutras while doing my own little research, just loving. I'm just a bit curious with stuff like that. I could Google things all day long, like researching. So I'm totally on a tangent here. And I started seeing how I almost every, well, all the Patanjali's yoga sutras pretty much were guiding us to be intuitive. And I just saw the whole practice differently within that moment and all of the eight steps. And I was like, I don't even know the eight steps. I mean, I know it because I'm a teacher and trained and I've read about them. (laughs) But 
why was I just doing asana and meditation? Like a fanatic too. I was an ashtangi and a vipassana meditator. Like there was no room for compassion in any of it. It was like show up and don't stringent. Yes, 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 yes. Practice and all is coming. So I blindly applied. But as I started going back on my own with a lot of yoga nature, because I was heavily spacious in my belly at this point, I was pregnant. So, I mean, I think you're extra intuitive. I honestly think pregnant women and mothers become like, boom, there's your superpower. Yes. Yes. And that's what happened for me. The dream just wanted me to realize a new perspective, a little bit more truth. And so I saw the entire eight steps a bit differently and how I can integrate each of them with little rituals into my life and not and to let that old practice just go and to really come up and and it's been mind blowing since even learning to sing mantras and I've you know been, learned to play the sitar through the pandemic I've learned so many things that I would have thought not possible by suddenly letting that letting that joy of life be my yoga practice and anything that feels spiritual, anything. <laughs> well, I on that note, I would love to hear from you because I think that um, people have ideas of what yoga is and I have ideas of what I think it is, which is really nebulous and large. <laughs> and I think people, like especially if you like a systematic process, you want a kind of little box of an answer. And I think that's been done a lot to the detriment of this idea of yoga that people are like, this is yoga, this is not. And, but I'm curious about what, like if somebody said, well, what is yoga to you? How would you, how would you explain it? Yeah. Well, and that's what I did when the book, so I'm, I'm going to try not to get long winded here because I can love, read the I love book, the everybody. And yes, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to me, it is guiding us to listen to ourselves to know what we want and know what we truly need. And the dreams, whether as silly as it is to learn to surf, it made me face a fear of leaving this relations, societal domestic relationship thing that I had always been told was the best thing for me, but it wasn't, it didn't Mm -hmm. feel right. And so using yoga to just to keep tapping in and all, there's so many over the 20 years or whatever I've been studying, I, I never got how, Chakra meditations tied into the yoga nidra, which tied into drupad chanting and with sitar music and conscious music. And I was like, what is going like, what is all of this? And so I think in, in what I try to explain is what it all is. And I believe that the first five principles or steps of yoga were guiding us to be intuitive. So there's the yamas, which are the rules, that's general rules, just to be a good spiritual person. And then the yamas, which are the virtues. And so if you can't make a decision, go back and keep looking at those virtues and try to just let that be your guide in a way. To If you don't know, then at least go there and check and see because you might be able to differentiate ego with spiritual growth through those niyamas. But I believe that asana was, well, in the sutras, there was one line. It's pretty much like a yogi said, come and sit and get comfortable. And I'm going to tell you everything else. And I don't know how Ashtanga and Anusara and Iyengar and everything came from that one sutra, but it has. <laughs> and that's great. I think we have to start with it. It is the starting point and learning to create space there Then using the pranayamas to learn to concentrate and focus the mind because most people's struggles were in the mind and grief and fear and anxiety, especially 3,000 years ago. I think it'd be even more so. 
And then if you use the learn to feel with pratyahara, leaving the sense and moving within, learning where your kidney is and where, where the chakras are and learning that there's more to you actually than the mind and the body. Oftentimes that's when our dreams pop up to us. And I believe that if you do those each as different rituals to every day, you're doing a little bit of that, learning those skills because they are skills, aren't they? Mm -hmm, They are. (laughs) That's that's why we got to make them a ritual. In theory, this stuff is so easy. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I think some, some of it, and I love your answer because it is, there are many facets to yoga and they're all different tools and techniques to bring us, bring us inward and clarify the confusion that culture and familial definitions like you were talking about have have told us to be true can the conditioning and to really be able to to feel alignment with what who we are and our values yeah. and that takes courage honestly because it's a lot easier for somebody to tell you this is what you need to do you need to grow up go to college get a job stay in that job forever get married have 2.5 kids buy a house, get a loan, all that stuff. Like that's kind of like a little, a manual that is, has been indoctrinated that, that is the way. And I think obviously took a tremendous amount of courage for you to say, hmm, but I'm not feeling it <laughs> in my heart. And I think a lot of people are not feeling it in their hearts and know that you don't necessarily have to wander because Maybe that's not comfortable for you, but not all who wander are lost. It's sometimes we're wandering to come home to ourselves. And I think that doing all these, practicing these, and they should be rituals that we practice daily because we're kind of like a tuning fork. We have to get retuned because again, we are bombarded with a lot of information and conditioning that is telling us how we should be living or what is the best way to live, et cetera. And I think yoga summons us to be courageous, to, to explore that there might be another way. And, and some people yeah. might be fine doing the kind of more traditional path of, yeah. of getting married and having a job and all of that. I certainly did that. I, I married for 20 years, and but I also left a career and, and embarked on my own. And I know it was, again, feeling that calling, like there's something more to what I want in life than to just show up at a job that somebody else tells me what to do, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. So it, did you feel that sense of like courage? It sounds like you did because you made the choice, but has that stayed with you once you made the move away from Alaska? It took so much courage and it still takes so much courage, I think every day and mm-hmm. all the time. And and that's, it's always supposed to be like a little, like feel a little bit courageous, right? Like that's what Yeah, it's not like we ever get way. it and we're just done. It's like life yes. is going to always have some challenges. So we do have to practice and, and feel that courage yeah. wax and wane, just like everything else. What's taken the most courage of all is just to sit alone through this pandemic and get really honest about what, what I looked like and what, I mean, not physically, I just meant like, Mm-hmm. what I observed about myself, how strong and sensitive my emotional body could. And at first I shame myself for it. And then I could start to see that that was actually my superpower. That's why I wrote a book. That's why, but it's been, I think it takes so much space 
to just come to this place with yourself. And that's why that time on the yoga mat, you really want to make a priority because that's your time to explore you. That's your time to say, how do I feel today? And, and just hear it and mm-hmm. just observe. It. And yes, and, and it's so, you're right. It's not about if it looks domestic or not, or maybe society. I mean, obviously men and women hormonally would love to work it out and be together with children even better. That's the dream. It's great. But it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes your hormones when you were 25 and you got pregnant and that person 10 years later, maybe not be someone that's really serving you personally anymore. And that's when we have to allow ourselves to let that story to change. And exactly, I I I believe actually that's where the second part of the book goes is really just seeing the the clashes and the blockages and the fears and the cravings and the aversions and the addiction and the, the imposter syndrome and all that other stuff that lives there. As we come to the mat, you might notice some of that sometimes and just going, I'm still sacred, even though all that's there and we'll work through that. I'm still here to remind myself that I'm a soul and I'm sacred. And mm, I love that. And, and yeah. Now, so some people might be listening and they don't know what the clashes are. And I always, I think that of, of all of yoga philosophy, to me, these are the most timeless <laughs> because I imagine this, these are obstacles to the ideas that they're obstacles to happiness because they are, they're the things that we battle within ourselves um, yeah. that kind of keep us metaphorically bound so would you briefly explain a little bit about the clashes? And I'm curious which one you think personally is your biggest struggle. <laughs> I always ask people that in the teacher training. Just I notice if one, like all of them it's might true, be though. a struggle, right? But one yes. of them tends to be kind of the, the continual biggest struggle, I think. Super resonance. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, know, I actually read this chapter today, ironically, because I was like, oh, this has a Scorpio vibe and it's Scorpio season. So I started reading this one about the And I'm a Scorpio, and, by the way. So, Are you? Oh yeah. my God, I'm Scorpio. There we go. And it's a full moon tonight. This is oh getting my so gosh. witchy. Oh, I know, witch. I'm such a witch. I, I'm born on Halloween too. So, I mean, it's like double witch. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Yeah. I think these are our life lessons. I think, and that's why when the yogis came, when people went to these healers, these wise men that appeared to be levitating or had CDs, they had magical powers. When these people in the village probably are the ones that would come to him and say, I need help with you. These were the things they needed help with. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a tight hamstring. I mean, I'm not discrediting yoga on the mat. It's a very beautiful way to learn meditation and learn physical movement. But people back then especially probably had really big problems and they would, we still do today. So you're right. I think they're completely timeless of anything, the most timeless of the, the yoga sutras. And I love that you said that because I never really saw it that way, but they're all of our pain. They're all of our suffering. They sum it up into five quick tips. And you're like you said, take your pick, which one are you dealing with and work on your shadow work and try to free that up. And that's um, what that stage of Dharana, I believe is about is it's not about becoming and like puffing up on steroids. It's more about like just picking the weeds that are in the plant next to you. Yes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And God, I think it's just an easy fallback to say that misperception is my biggest blockage of all, because if you don't even know, if you've never been introduced to yogic philosophy or a Buddhist idealism or it, you know anything that's going to work for you, that's going to 
then you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's I why compassion is so necessary too. It is. It is. I think if if we kind of infuse some of the Buddhist idea of like, there's suffering, it's always going to be here. It's kind of like, I always talk about this a lot, but I see this more as I age and have children. And I feel like it's suffering has been looked at as like, you don't want to talk about it. It's suffering seems like something that happens to you. And, but suffering is there all the time to some degree, internal, externally. And so we might as well learn how to work in it and work through it as opposed to avoiding it or thinking it's some kind of plague that if we stay inside and don't pay attention to it, it'll just go away. And it's like, I think early on, if we like, life is hard and it's beautiful, it's both. And there are struggles and there's suffering. And how do we best pass through those deeper suffering moments so that they're not staying with us in the same way? You know, if we repeat the same pattern of behavior over and over, and that's where the clashes really come in. It's like, what pattern is yeah. your th- your pattern? Like you said, the shadow, like what is it that, is it the people, aversion or fear of death is kind of one of them. And it's, it's like fear of death is just like the biggest transition. I mean, if we don't, yeah. but how about if we actually just think, well, you obviously don't have that. You did a lot of transitioning, but a lot of people never, never really transition, never change. And so I imagine those people have the largest fear of this death because it is the ultimate change. It is the ultimate out of our control. And I think that, again, like I look at my dad who is such a wise soul and he would just, he would just be like, there's so little we control. We are just little specks in this universe. He's very much of a quantum physics surgeon. And I, I loved that because it was not taking out our importance, but actually just giving perspective. And I think if we get that perspective, like, yeah, yeah, we can. That's great. Yeah. And it just goes to show even like how much stress messes us up and like not normalizing the hard parts. It's actually by normalizing it, you're not stressed about it. And then even by the clashes, by learning the five names of it, it's pretty much clinging, addiction, fearing, aversion, ego, petting, doing things for your ego, misperception and is there another one? I, I might've forgotten one there, but and, and you then you give it a name though. And then you're like, oh, fear of loneliness. This is my fear of loneliness. I'm not going to let that stop me anymore. <laughs> you know? Right, like, right. Oh, yeah, this and is I think me that's where, for money or right, whatever. You exactly. can see it. And you see, mm. and that's where I do think like practicing on the mat can bring that stuff up. And there's certain practices I think that probably bring it up fast, like a shtanga or something like that, where you have a very linear path. You can't progress if you don't meet these standards. That really, really, I imagine, clings to that ego part of accomplishment, achievement, perform. It becomes a little performative if you let it. But on the other hand, you could be like, this is where I am now and I will enjoy it. And then I can work. So it's all a matter of like, it's not that that practice is not good. It's that it can really amplify some of those clashes if you allow it versus just observing yourself and being like, this is where I am now and I will continue to work and show up day after day and (laughs) be there, be in that moment and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about how we can find more about your offerings, where we can find the book, what you hope to do with this book. Are you 
obviously you want to sell it, but do you want to do any kind of in-person stuff around it where you bring this into like a a retreat-like setting and really teach people by the guidelines of the book? Yeah, I've been doing that a little bit online for the past years to help actually me. I mean, I've worked through these eight stages many, many, many times on my own and then even with students just to help me better understand it, which obviously led to the book. And, and I've kind of taken a little bit of a break from that as well, just to, like I said about the nervous system, just really take this time for me. Because even though I had a lot of alone time and isolation, at the end of the day, I feel like that was just my time to heal me. And now it's actually like time to just rest in the accomplishment of the book. So there will be more happening, more retreats, but for a little bit, I'm just enjoying the, the having conversations with beautiful people like yourself and, and talking about conscious things. This feels so good. So it does. <laughs> I, well, I think you but, should, um, I think, I think you should rest on your laurels a little bit. <laughs> I, I know that bringing anything like this into fruition, your hard work, your vision, having to put it in some kind of form format to share with others is, is a tremendous amount of work that's rooted in passion and courage. So I really commend you and congratulate you. And I can't, I just received the book as I was mentioning, I can't wait to read it myself. It sounds like a wonderful book for anyone, yogis practicing or not. So where can they find the book? Yeah, thank you. It's pretty much everywhere, anywhere books are sold and in most countries, which is great. It's on um, audio, digital and paperback. It's called Rituals of the Soul using the eight ancient principles of yoga to create a modern and meaningful life. Mm. And I have a website where I was running all my retreats and online courses, and there's still many free offerings, um, like a seven-day meditation where you actually go through each of these, my kind of perspective of yoga in, within 15 minutes or something. They're, they're very manageable. But you can find out more of everything that's happening on my website, which is Santosha Society. So S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A society.com. I love that. And same Instagram and YouTube and all that's under the same name. So easy to find, I think. (laughs) Well, thank you, Corey, for your time and your passion. And so excited to meet you and have you here. And I know everyone out there that's listening has probably learned something about you and wants to learn more. So go check out more that Corey has to offer and her book, Rituals of the Soul. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. 